0: Well done, well done for coming back and staying the course. Are you tired? Cope was a bit more? I don't know if I can. I think <laughs> <laughs> it's easy for me because I get a bit of adrenaline standing up here, but you guys don't get that. So um, I appreciate it if you, if you feel like just nodding off a little bit. It's two old gentlemen who are in an old people's home. They're <laughs> sitting in the corridor and. Um, passing the time of day, as people do. And suddenly another resident of the home comes by, a woman completely naked, and uh, she runs by at great speed. Whom! So one man turns to the other and he says, my goodness me, who was that? The other chap says, I have no idea. I think it was, I think it was Mildred. But whatever she was wearing sure needed ironing. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and as, as you get older, you probably look in the mirror and think, <laughs> think the same thing. We've been talking about following Jesus, and um, I, I don't know if you can imagine what it, was, what it would have been like, if you ever think about this, what it would have been like to wake up in the morning, on just an ordinary morning, and you're a disciple of Jesus back in the, in the days of the Gospels, and you're thinking, I wonder what today is going to be about, you're not just thinking, this is, could be another boring day. You're just thinking, yesterday I walked on water and I wasn't expecting that. Now what's today going to bring? day before that we fed 5,000 people with a few, I mean, goodness me. day before that we cast out some, what, what is going to happen today? You wouldn't be sure whether you wanted to get out of bed, would you? You'd think, what's he up to today? You wouldn't know. There's no plan. You didn't get a program like we've got here. Nine till ten we'll be uh, walking out and, and, and healing the sick and uh, 11 till 12 will be a bit of deliverance. 12 to 1 will feed a few thousand people. And uh, you wouldn't know what was going to happen. Anything might happen at any moment. And then in the Acts of the Apostles, it's basically the same stuff all over again. They didn't know what was going to happen. It's an extraordinary story of just a step at a time, but just uh, the excitement of it. And there is a sense in which somehow we, we lose something of that expectation and excitement that every day could be a great day with Jesus. We've somehow sanitized our Christianity, and we've understand it. We've got it boxed in. We know what happens. We go to church on Sunday. We live our lives during the week, go to Bible study on Wednesday night, and it's fairly sort of predictable. We've lost something. We're talking about following Jesus. We're not talking about following the Jesus that maybe we understand and have learned up to this point. We're talking about following the Jesus that steps out of the pages of the New Testament because it's that Jesus that's alive today. It's the Jesus who is not safe, but he is kind. This is a dangerous Jesus. This is a Jesus who's not actually uh, terribly worried about being in church on Sunday. He's really interested in something else out there. And tomorrow I'd like to talk about the fact that uh, we can be pretty sure in terms of where Jesus is leading us on every day of the week, we can be pretty sure where he's taking us. I can't be specific for you in your life in the specifics, but tomorrow I will tell you I think we can know pretty well where the, the rough agenda that's going to be on for us every single day of the week uh, it's very unpredictable, we don't know how it's going to work out, but it's exciting. And we need to be on our edge, on our day, on our, on, uh, to say that Mondays is an incredibly exciting day in the kingdom of God. And uh, it'd be great if we wake up on Monday morning with that sense of anticipation, what is going to happen today? Wouldn't it be great to get back into that sort of sense of expectation? In the meantime, just to finish off today, really a, a preparation for that in the line of, of what we've been uh, doing in these first two sessions about what it means to follow Jesus in the sense of, as we're following him, he's doing something in us. That passage that Phil read just now is incredibly exciting and, and fits in with this whole theme. Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers. Isn't that what we're talking about? We are now aliens in this world. We're in a post-Christian world. We're, we're back in the Old Testament in the day of Daniel. We're into the, the times of um, uh, the, the reading to the Gentiles in the New Testament. We are living in an alien world. I urge you to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that they accuse you of doing wrong, but they may see your good works and do what? Glorify your Father in heaven. That's what we're talking about. Radically following Jesus so that we live different lives. Now, I realize in all of our lives, it's a process throughout our lives of being changed. The great tragedy is when we get stuck. There's a very frightening verse in the book of um, Genesis, where uh, I think it's Genesis chapter 12. Um, 11 and 12 where uh, Abraham is called with his his family, his father Terah and the family are called out of Ur of the Chaldees and it says they are called to go to Canaan. That was their journey. That was their destination. And then you read these words. And they came to Haran and they settled there. They made some progress. They made a journey on the way. They set out to, to the right place but they settled down. And Praise the Lord. There's another call that comes at the beginning of the next chapter. is it chapter 12 when uh, God comes, as it were, to Abraham again and says, leave your country and your people and go to the land that I called you to go to. And Abraham sets off. By the way, he doesn't leave behind what he should have left behind. Primary Lot, who was a lot of trouble. But anyway, uh, he, he journeys on to Canaan. The danger for you and I, as we've been in the Christian life sometime, is we have settled down. And we've lost something, we lose something of that radical cutting edge of being changed day by day and being ready for what Jesus has to do. Um, I think it was the summer before last, we went to the Channel Islands for a holiday with our eldest son and his family. And um, uh, Theo, who was about three then, little boy, he was um, very excited to go on holiday because he was told he was going to go on a a plane and a a, a boat and a train and everything else. I don't know what. Anyway, we, we, they, they got up very early in the morning, They went on the taxi journey, which was really exciting, to the airport. Then they went into the airport and they had to check in and then they had to go through this place where you put all the luggage on. It, goes, it was really exciting for him, so it all come off the other end. Then he comes out into this big place where there is restaurants and bookshops and everything else and he's wandering around excited by this and he turns to his mother and says, but mummy, where are we going to sleep? And she says, we're not there yet. This is not the holiday destination. Birmingham airport may have looked for a three-year-old like the <laughs> holiday destination with all that it had to offer and the excitement of it but they weren't there yet. He said they said there's more to come. We're going to catch a plane and that's we're going to catch that and he said I remember I took him to the window and he said that's the plane I want to take so we can't take that plane. said, we want to take that plane. No, I like the blue one. Can we go on the blue one? <laughs> anyway, we went on the holiday but he, he, the danger is that we've come to a point and we think that's it. We're not there yet. We're being changed. God's doing something in us and God is calling us to follow Jesus which actually means simply that we learn to live the way he lived we learn to be obedient to him Jesus said if you love me you will do what you will obey my commandments and uh, he warned his disciples that this was not going to be an easy road he said if anyone come after me in Luke chapter 9 if anyone will come after me let him deny himself take up his cross and do what follow me In other words, there's going to be a denial of self, which we talked about this morning. It's going to go contrary to what I want to do with my life and my personal ambitions and all the rest of it. I'm going to have to deny something in my life if I'm going to follow him. I'm going to have to take up my cross. And when you're on a cross, you're not going anywhere. When you're nailed to it, the, the options are not great. Because you've sacrificed yourself to Jesus, because he's calling you to follow him. Jesus looking for people who will deny themselves, take up their cross and follow him daily. And you notice that Jesus picks the disciples in the, in the early, uh, early chapters of the Gospels. And uh, in Matthew's Gospel, you hear that. And, and he takes the disciples very quickly, very early on. He takes them aside to a place up on a mountainside. And we, we're told as he gathers his disciples, a great crowd also gathered. But primarily it was for the disciples. And what does he do with them? He says to them, I'm, basically he says, what I want you to understand, that if you follow me, this, I'm leading you into a radically changed life. This is an upside down world. All your value systems are about to be turned upside down. Your priorities are turned upside down. The way you see the world will be turned upside down. Followers of me are not just... People who have come now to follow me, they come to follow me into a radically changed life. It is very, it's completely different from the world you've understood. And so he begins to unpack it. And he unpacks it, blessed are the poor in spirit. Oh, this is completely different from what you had thought. I'm not going to go to the sermon on that, but um, for there's the kingdom. And then he goes on and he unpacks relationships, attitudes, behavior, And he begins to show them that everything is different in this kingdom. He brings them into a new understanding of a whole new way of living. And that's the way. And that's why I think the disciples were called the way. Because they had come into a new form of living. Jesus did not come to start a religion. As I said this morning, he came to create a new way of life. For people to live the way they were intended to live. So he unpacks it for them. And at the very end, I don't know why he put it at the end. I would have put it at the beginning. But he put it at the end. And he told a story that everybody in Sunday school knows. That There was a wise man who built his house upon the rock. And the winds came and the rain came and beat upon that house and it stood firm. And there was a foolish man who built his house upon the sand. And the rains came and the wind came and that house collapsed. And very, it's very easy to think what Jesus was saying is for the Christian, who's the person who's built his house on the rock. And the foolish man is the non-Christian who's built his house on the sand. But that's not what he's saying. That's not what he's saying at all. Because these same same people had both built a house. They both experienced the wind, but the difference was the sand and the rock. And he's saying, what is the difference between those two people? Both of those people heard the word of God. Both of them had God's word. Both of them listened to the word. Both of them had listened to the teachings of Jesus. But Jesus says, the wise man is the man who hears my word and does what? He does what he hears. The foolish man is the man who hears my word and does not do it. And that's the difference in the story. So he's not talking to the Christian and the non-Christian. He's talking to anyone who hears his word. He's saying, if you're wise, you will, as you read his word, as you study his word, as you hear his word, you will apply it into your life. Why? Because whoever you are, you are going to come into times in your life when there's going to be storms and rain and wind and things are going to beat upon your house. In other words, everybody is going to go through the same sort of troubles in life. They will be varied, of course, but we will all suffer trouble. The people who will survive the trouble are not those who have heard God's word. They're not those who have been to church. They are those who have applied these principles in their lives. And that's why this is so important. Because it prepares us for the world, the the life that God is leading us into. Three things about living Jesus' way, and that's what we'll... Then we'll finish. We'll have some prayer, and that'll be fine today. But three things about living Jesus' way. Number one, to live the Jesus' way and and the Jesus' pattern of life is an entrance to freedom. It's very easy to think that this is another form of law. It's not. Sermon on the mount is not another legal framework. It's Jesus saying to his disciples, this is the way to freedom. Live this way and you will be free. It's not a it's not a straitjacket. It's not a restrictive thing. It's saying this is the way to freedom. Let me illustrate that. If you, uh, um, I don't know if you've got your Bibles there. But if you were to turn to the, to the Old Testament, to the book of Daniel, to whom we have already referred today. And Jan- Daniel chapter 1. Let me just read some familiar verses to you. You remember that these guys were young, without physical defect, handsome and showing great aptitude. This is Daniel chapter 1. They were pretty sparky, good-looking young guys who had been brought there. And um, this is chap- verse 5 of chapter 1. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years, and afterwards they were entered the king's service. Among those men were Daniel and um, his three friends, Hananiah, Mysael and Azariah. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. He asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself in this way. Now, God had caused the official to show favor and sympathy to Daniel, but the official told Daniel, I'm afraid of my lord, the king, who has assigned your food and drink. Why should he see you looking worse than the other young men your age? The king would then have my head because of you. And Daniel said to the guard whom he'd put over him, Please test your servants for ten days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. By the way, this is not going to be a talk on vegetarianism and uh, temperance. Then compare your appearance with that of the young men, our appearance with the young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So he agreed to this and tested them for 10 days. At the end of 10 days, they looked rather healthy. They looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. So the guard took away their choice food and wine they were to drink, gave them vegetables instead. To these four young men, listen to this, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning, and Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. At the end of the time set by the king to bring them in, the, king of, the chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them, and he found no one equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mysael, and Azariah. So they entered the king's service. In every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in the whole kingdom. Whatever it was that Daniel and his friends did and the reason they did it certainly did them good. They ended up looking healthier, being healthier than any of the other young men in in the court of the king. They discovered what it was to have spiritual alertness, spiritual antennae. They could understand literature and learning and understand visions and dreams. These people understood the, the real uh, 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 work of the Spirit in their lives. They became successful in the court of the king. They did something that really worked. What was it? Let me just suggest a couple of things here. Firstly, if you read this p- first passage quite carefully, you'll discover that Daniel immersed himself in the, in the culture of the day. Let's just say that right out. Now, I mentioned sailing earlier this morning, uh, today, uh, which I don't know a great deal about, but we did have this boat. And one of the things I discovered about this is the only way to... Th- there's two, two things that are really important if you sail. Number one, if you're going to sail, it is very, very important that the boat is in the water. Now, just, you need, I need to say that to you in case you didn't know that. The boat must be in the water. The second rule of sailing is this. The water must not be in the boat. It doesn't work well. The boat must be in the water. The water mustn't be in the boat. And that's the principle at work here. If we are to be effective for Jesus, the person must be in his world. We must be totally immersed in his world, caught up in his world, involved in his world, uh, leading in his world, doing stuff in his world. But we must not allow the world to fill us. That is the world's system, the world's attitudes, the world's behavior, the world's culture. And the great cry of God is, be in the world, but not of the world. And the great danger is that Christians, A, consider themselves they should withdraw from the world, but they are very happy for the world to enter into their hearts, and we need to switch that round. So we need to be out in God's world, immersed in the culture of the day, but be very, very careful that nothing of that culture, as little as possible, enters into our lives. And that we need to live this radical life, which we just read about in Pers Peter, living it out in God's world. So they immersed themselves. They learned the language. they got involved in the culture, they were involved in the university. Eventually they were involved in leadership, in the government of the nation. There's nothing that they didn't do in that sense. They got deeply involved with the people, because they knew that by being there, that's where they could spread the influence. But they're they're working, they work very hard at something else. It says here, he resolved not to defile himself with the king's food. Now, what on earth was wrong with the king's food? What is this about? And I want to suggest something to you, and I think it's right, but it might not be, but it's it's along the right lines, I'm sure. Because people have conjectured, why did these guys not eat the king's food and drink the king's wine? Some said, well, it wasn't kosher. Some have said, well, it was maybe offered to idols. Some have said... Well, it would, you know, if you have too much food and, and drink, you get a little bit soft in the head and you can't make decisions. People have come up with all sorts of reasons, but this is what I think is the most likely one. Is that in the days when this was written, that if you had a meal with somebody, it was a sense of covenant relationship with them. The meal, like we have communion, is a covenantal meal. And when the king said, Come and eat at my table, eat my food, drink my wine. He was saying much more than get involved in my university and in my government. He was saying, I want to enter into some sort of covenant relation with you. And I think what Daniel was saying here is, I will do everything you want me to do, but I will not form an alliance with you because I live my life to the beat of a different drum. I want to be different. I want to show that I don't need your food and drink. I don't need that from you. I'm not dependent upon it because I know that if I do that, somehow I have compromised my life and I need to make a stand. I don't think this has anything to do with food and wine. In fact, if you read later in Daniel, Daniel chapter 10, you'll find Daniel is drinking wine. That should please some of you. It's okay, chaps. He drinks wine again later on. But I think these men were concerned for their inner souls they knew that they had to remove themselves in some way from allegiance to the culture of the day. They would get involved in that world, but they did not want to form an allegiance with it. They wanted to remain separate from it because in that way they could be sharp and have an influence upon it. And in some way we've got to emulate that in our own lives. And they, they decided basically that they would draw a line. They had to draw a line in the sand somewhere Because uh, uh, the next step from food and wine would be much closer allegiance with the king, friendship with the king, and they're already embraced by it. The water's got into the boat. So they draw a line in the sand. And I think for you and I in our lives that we all need to learn to draw lines in the sand. Now there are two sorts of lines we have to draw. The first is an easy line. It's a biblical line. If you're a follower of Jesus, you have made a decision to follow him and his ways. And many of his ways are down here in the Scriptures. We know them. We don't have to think, should we or shouldn't we? There is a clear, clear biblical line in the sand. It's quite clear. For example, if some of you, we talked about this earlier with the men, if some of you are now thinking of committing adultery, you're praying about it. Um, You're just considering it, okay? Let me just put your mind at rest and save you a lot of time. Uh, It is in the Old Testament, in the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not commit adultery. Is that fairly clear? I think it is. Uh, we've read it in a number of other places in the scripture. It is wrong to commit adultery. We don't have to go any further. We know that's wrong. We've, if you're a Christian, you have already made that decision. You will not be committing adultery because you are a follower of Jesus. I remember meeting a young couple in our church and I uh, was chatting to them. I'd seen them being, sort of, um, being a bit hummy-chummy with each other. And uh, they came to me and they said, uh, how things going? oh, we've fallen in love with each other. And said, we're praying about whether we should sleep together. I said, this is your lucky day. This is your lucky day. You've come to the right man. Pray no more. <laughs> no, is the answer. No. And we, get, we talked about it. and The biblical principles on that. I so said, don't even pray about it. What are you doing? Are you following Jesus? Yes. Well, there you are. Listen, when it comes to forgiveness, oh, I don't know whether I can forgive that. But you can't afford not to. I was with a guy yesterday was telling me how he had in a business operation had been really messed about and the guy eventually wrote to him as a christian and said will you forgive me and he wrote back and he said yes i will for two reasons number one because i want to number two because i have to there is no choice i have no choice but to forgive you because i am a follower of jesus and if you're a follower of jesus you can't think oh i don't know whether i can forgive them or not you're a follower of jesus you forgive you have to Am I sort of making myself clear? There's a, there's, a lot, there are a lot, there's a biblical line. Let's not mess about. This the word's been given to us so that we know. Now, there is another line. And that line, I think, may be different for different people. There is the line of, of what is the protection for my soul? For some people, they need to draw a line and say, no, no further than that, because that is harmful to me. I cannot go beyond this point. I cannot even dabble in that area because it would be harmful to me. There's a very uh, a vicar that I know very, very well, who's my age, and I was talking to him a couple of years ago about the, the Passion of the Christ, the film. And I said, you need to see that, Andrew. It's a fantastic film. He said, I won't see it. I said, why not? It's about Christ and everything. He said, no, I won't see it because it's X-rated. I said, well, there's no sex in it, Andrew. It's only just a bit of violence, but you know, it's okay. He said, I won't see it. I said, why not? He said, I will not watch any X-rated movie. I said, well, some of them are quite good. He said, no, I won't watch it. I said, well, why not? He said, because some years ago, I used to watch a lot of movies, movies I shouldn't watch, and my marriage was almost wrecked by the things that I saw and the things I started to do. So I made a decision. doesn't say so in the Bible, but I made a decision that for me, I will never, ever watch a film that would, get, that would be X-rated. And, and it doesn't matter what you tell me is in it, I've made that decision. Wow, I respect that man. Because he wants to protect his soul. And he's not saying to me, Nick, don't you watch X-rated movies? He's saying, I want to protect my soul. I was to a friend of mine last year or the year before, and he said whenever he travels, and he travels a lot, he goes into a hotel bedroom. The first thing he does is unplug the television. First thing I do is plug it in. He <laughs> unplugs it. I said, why do you do that? He said, because years ago I used to travel a lot. And the first thing I would do was turn on the television, and after a bit, I would begin to find what adult movies there were in the hotel. He said, It so darkened my soul, I decided never, ever again to watch a television in a hotel room. Well, what else do you do in a hotel room? I don't know. But he's decided that he would never do that because it was hurt his soul. There was a young man in Birmingham that I met not long ago who became, he was um, made a partner in a big law firm, youngest partner in that firm. He turned it down. He said, I won't do it. I said, Why didn't you take it? He said, because I decided I was already earning more money than I could spend. And I watched the other partners and I saw the pressure they were under. And I valued my family life and I valued home life. And I decided this is as far as I need to go. He said, I'm not telling anybody else they shouldn't do it. But I drew a line in the sand because it would protect my soul. And many of us have to do that. We have to say, if I want to follow Jesus, there are some areas that may be wrong for me but right for others. But I need to make a decision because I know where I'm vulnerable here because I want to keep my heart pure. I want to be absolutely pure. Some of you, when it comes to giving, you need to give 20% because you struggle with money, so give away a bit more. For, uh, a guy said to us recently, who's was in our own church, he, was made, um, he lost his job for a short time. He said, I decided actually to increase my giving rather than reduce it because I wanted to tell God I was believing there was another job coming. And I wanted to say to the devil, you can't get me that way. Uh, for him, that was what he needed to do. And you know, those sort of decisions actually make an impact too. We had a, another guy in our own church years ago who um, was part of a company where he was in a, a, a group, a sales group. And his particular group had, had, had done the best in their, whatever, the, the year for the company. And the man, the, their group leader got them together one day and said, I'm gonna, we're going to have a treat, guys. This is a reward for all our hard work. We're going to go to the um, lap dancing club in Broad Street. And there was sort of silence, and there was a little tittering in the room. Oh, great, 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 great. And this one guy said, um, "After a bit, I'm not coming. Um, I, I don't think it would be good for me to come. Uh, he didn't say he was a Christian. He was, but he didn't say that. He just said, it wouldn't be good for my family relationship. I, I couldn't face my wife on that, et etc. Et um, I just won't be coming. Oh, the other guy's, rah, 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 oh, rah, rah. And there's a bit quiet for a moment. And uh, the guy said, what about the rest of you? Another guy said, well, actually, come to think of it, I'm not sure I could tell my wife we're going to a lap dancing club for the night, so I don't think, you know, count me out, guys. You have a great time. And Another guy said, I'm not coming either. By the end of that conversation, pretty well everybody in the group said they weren't coming. Let me just tell you something. Not, not only did he stop that happening, but he changed the culture in the, ch- in the, in the company because that man who leads that, that team will never, ever again suggest going lap dancing or to the club. Why? Because he wouldn't want to lose face again. And that's all that guy did. He didn't say it was wrong for everybody else. He, didn't say, he just said, for me, that's the line in the sand, guys. I'm not taking this um, any further. I need to be careful what I do in my life. And I would just suggest for many of us, when we're going to follow Jesus, if we want to be free, we're going to have to say no and make clear lines. And some of us here tonight have already gone over the line in some areas. You're playing with the line. You're saying, how far can... Ooh, let's see how close I can get to it. I hear many young people say... As far as sex is concerned, how far can we go? What do you want to know? How far can we go with, without doing what? How far do you want to go? Just step way back. Because we want to be pure and we want to follow Jesus in our attitudes and in our life. And here's this, notice this, by the way, that Daniel decided ahead of time. He didn't wait till he saw the wine and the food and think, Oh, that smells good. I think I might just nibble at that. He decided, I'm not doing it. Before I ever see it, I'm not doing it. It's rather like this. If you, go, if you decide, because you want to lose weight or something, that you're never going to have desserts. Have you, have you ever had that decision? No desserts. And you, you decide, that. We're not have, I'm never going to have any more desserts because I'm trying to lose weight. So that's great. Great decision for you? Fantastic. Tonight, disaster. Anyway... <laughs> So you go to the restaurant, you have the main course, and then after the main course, the waitress comes up to you. In the old days, they'd bring a trolley along wouldn't they, with all the desserts on. That was fatal. Anyway, now the waitress comes to you and says, would you like to see the dessert menu? What is that? Oh, yes, I'd love to see how you've designed it. What's the artwork on it? All that sort of stuff. <laughs> She's not saying that, is she? She's not saying, Have you seen our beautiful, how it's beautifully laid out our dessert menu? She's saying, basically, in other words, would you like a dessert? Because she knows perfectly well, once you've looked at the menu, you're going to have a dessert. Once you've seen there is chocolate brownies and gunge and all the stuff that's there, you're going to have it. She knows that. So she says, She doesn't say, Do you want a dessert? She says, Do you want to see the menu? And if you haven't decided ahead of time, you say, Well, let's just have a look. Once you've had a look, you're gone, aren't you? You decide, no, thank you. I do not want to see your dessert menus. However nice it looks, I do not want to see it. You make a decision beforehand. And that's some of the things we have to do in our lives because we want to be followers of Jesus. I have decided this. A few young people say, I have decided no sex before marriage. That's my decision. It's going to cost me dearly. I'm going to be ribbed at school, laughed at by other people. But that's my decision. When it comes to work, I'm going to be honest about my expenses. I'm going to be honest about the things that I do. I'm not going to lie to anybody about stuff at work. I'm going to th- This is what I've decided to do. I could lose my job in this way, but my decision is to always be honest, to tell the truth, even if it costs me dearly. And he set an example to his friends, like uh, this friend of ours did. He, he said, this is what I'm going to do. You know, there's a guy who runs the... Um, oh. Uh, Entertainer, how did you know I was going to say that? <laughs> She's wonderful, isn't she? <laughs> I, I couldn't even remember what I was going to say. <laughs> um, the, the entertainer shops, and he, he decided that he wasn't going to sell Harry Potter books. Now, that's quite a costly thing. He wasn't going to open the shop on Sunday because he wanted his workers to, to go and um, to have the day off. And that's a costly thing to do in business, but he made that decision. And uh, having made that decision, I think God has prospered him. And he was so gracious, Daniel, wasn't he, towards this guy who could see he was going. He just said, look, let's just try it out. It'll be okay. Just let me do it a little bit and try it out. He's, he's so gracious to this man. And when he's discouraged by him, he presses on and no, I'm going to do this. So that's the first thing I want to say. But I think as we make decisions in life to live this way, the way Jesus wants us to live, it's liberating. You're free. And it, it actually, you feel good for it, for doing it. And uh, going on beyond that, just to remind you, it's very interesting that the results of that for these men was a, a, a spiritual dynamic which would have been missing before. And there's something about living this sort of a life where God says, okay, that's the way you're going to live. The Holy Spirit loves that, and you're going to find yourself actually sharper and, and clearer in spiritual things than you've ever been. You may start having revelations and prophecies and understanding of things. Why? Be- not because you're a great person, but because you have chosen the holy life, which the Holy Spirit loves. And, and because God can trust you, he's going to trust you with all sorts of other things. So there's a lot of spin-off and repercussions um, because of it. The second thing, just moving on quickly, is the second thing is that we have been equipped for the journey, and that's um, also we're reminded of that. That even that when God is calling us to do this, this is why it is not burdensome, because Peter says this in Second Peter chapter one. Listen to these words: His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through knowledge of Him who called us by His glory and goodness. Through His divine power, we have everything we need. In other words, to live the godly life that God wants us to do. So it's not a matter of rules and regulations. You have within you everything you need to live this way. Isn't that fantastic? By his divine uh, power, his gift of his spirit is enough for you to live this life. You can do everything Jesus has asked you to do. So it's not burdensome because you can do it. If you walk into it, you'll find you can do it. That's the extraordinary thing. That's what the promise is in the scriptures. You have everything you need. You know, on this journey, which we want to be very luggage-free, we're leaving a lot of stuff behind, there's only two things you need for this journey in the Christian life. It's all you need to take with you. Not a toothbrush and a piece of toothpaste. All you need for this journey is two things, the Spirit and the Word. The will of God and the power of God. To know what to do and the power of God to help us do it. It's all, apparently, that we need. We need both these things. And uh, but and their intention with one another. I always like to think it's well. You know that you know there's um the greatest single um the greatest single uh, thing that causes marriage breakdown. Do you know Do you know this? It's map reading. Well, it isn't anymore. It used to be map reading, uh, but it, but the sat nav has changed that actually, um, because we now have a bit more liberty. I love the sat nav. It's fantastic, isn't it? We've got this sweet lady on ours. It's a friend of mine has got a guy on his, and he's really rude. I think just rather aggressive. Do this right away. And uh, I always think they should say thank you, but they don't. And there's one that says please, which is amazing, really. Anyway, and we have the sat now. But um, you know, if you're going to go on a journey, you need two things. If you're gonna, you need a car to get there, is that right? Uh, you need a car, and you probably need a map to show you how to go. Now, some people, some people are map crazy. I met a guy, actually, just a few weeks ago, this is this true, who said to me, I am a complete map geek. He said, if you come to my house, I have maps of everything. I mean, he just he said, I love maps. I pour over maps. Can you imagine doing that? I said, well, where have you been? He said, not many places. But he said, I've got the maps. Got, he's rich. He doesn't travel very much, but he just loves maps. He loves Ordnance Survey maps. He just loves them. And uh, some people are like that. They think the word is everything. As long as you've got the word, you're okay. And then there are other people, mainly men, who don't need a map at all. Ah, <laughs> oh, Got my car. Where are we going? We're going up to Yorkshire. I know, that's north. Okay, get into my sports car. Warm off we go. Zzz, zzz, which way do we go? Oh, they're going this way. Rawr. Five hours later, as they come trotting into Wales, I think when the wife says, are you sure we're not lost? Of course we're not lost. <laughs> off we go again. And uh, but, you know, the sensible thing to do is to have a map and a car. And be humble enough, men, to recognise you might need to even look at the map. And when your wife says, are we lost, to say, possibly we are. Shall we have a look at the map? Shall we look at the map, dear? No, I know where I'm going. Let's have a look at the map. Shove in the sat-nav, it's okay. Sweet little lady will tell us at the first available opportunity, please turn around. So um, we need both those things. And in the same way, we need the Spirit. We need the Word who shows us where to go and the Spirit who carries us along the way. Isn't that fantastic we have both those things? Uh, it's, I'm making it sound easier than it is. <laughs> but that 's why we need the Spirit of God; we need His Spirit to help us in in, in, following, in being followers of jesus and it 's lovely in the book of, you know, the book of Ephesians and the Book of Colossians are very similar books they have I think fifty verses or more that that are very compatible and one of those verses is um, "Be filled with the Spirit in Ephesians, Speak to yourselves with hymns and songs and spiritual songs etc etc and in, uh, in, in the book of uh, um, uh, What did I say? Colossians. uh, Let the word of God dwell in you richly. Speaking to yourselves in hymns. They're two parallel verses. One is let the word of God dwell in you richly. The other is be filled with the Holy Spirit. They go together. As you be filled with the Holy Spirit, let the word of God dwell in you richly. That's how we get changed. That's why we need both these things. And that's why in Psalm 23, to tie it up with this morning, God says, I will lead you to green pastures. You better do the eating. I will take you by still waters. You better do the drinking. But God will provide those things for us because they are the means by which we become changed and like him. And the third thing, just to say, almost in closing, that this affects every area of our life. God wants us to live the Jesus life at home. Isn't that the hardest place to do it? I think so. He wants us to live the Jesus life at work. We talked a bit about that earlier. And it's here. As we go into the workplace, in the alien world, live such godly lives just live simply as Jesus wants you to live in the corporate world in the business world in the student world seek as but you're, you're going to collapse and fail and make mistakes along the way and compromise of course the blood of Jesus cleanses you from all sin but we set out to be just simply doing the thing that will plead Jesus you know the, the years ago the people used to have a wristband on that said WWJD what would Jesus do? To remind people, to say, what in this situation, how should I behave? Do you remember years and years ago when some of us were young, there was a book out, which is is actually a world bestseller called In His Steps, about a group of people who decided in every situation to ask themselves the question, what would Jesus do in this situation? And they met together regularly to share their experiences. I don't know whether that's the right way to do it, but I can understand the principle of it, is that I think we're to ask ourselves how would Jesus want me to react and respond in this situation? In our business world, in our in, in home, at work, in, 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 at our place of leisure. It affects every part of our lives. It affects our relationships. Supremely, it's our relationship. That is actually the hallmark of what's going on, isn't it? But you remember John says, if you say you love God but you hate your brother, you are a liar. Straightforward that. I love that. It's uncompromising, isn't it? Uh, he doesn't say, if you say you love God but you hate your brother, that is slightly inconsistent. He basically says, you're a liar. You're not telling the truth. You don't love God at all because if you love God, you will love your brother and sister who you have to live with. And um, it's in our relationships that it really works out as to whether or not uh, the gospel is really going to work for us. And in our own church, we've used this little triangle of, of words that come in the New Testament to help us understand relationships, love, acceptance, and forgiveness. And, and uh, that's a little sort of triumvirate that we, we talk about all the time. That that's how we're to relate to one another, with love. Always consider, what is the best for that other person? What's best for you? Not what's best for me. How can I serve you? What is what's the, the thing I can do or say for you that would be an act of love? That's the way Jesus wants us to live, love one another. Secondly, accept one another. And this, we're not very good at that, are we? When we find out things about somebody that we didn't know before, we go, oh my gosh, if only I'd known about that. I'll, I'll keep you awake with a little story. You know the story of the lady who went to the hospital? To visit her friend, and her friend was um, uh, I- and ill in bed, and she sat by the bed. And you know how it is when you go to hospital. Sometimes you you like to eat the fruit that a, a person. There's nothing much else to do, so you just nibble at their fruit. Well, she had a bowl of peanuts by the bed, and she decided she was just in, inadvertently. She started just to nibble at these peanuts, and she finished the entire bowl of peanuts. And she said to this lady, "I'm, you know, I'm really sorry. I've finished all your peanuts. They're your peanuts, and I've come in here as your visitor, and I've eaten all your peanuts. I'm really very sorry." She said, "I'm glad you have. I don't like peanuts." She said, what I do like is what my husband brought in last night. She said, I love chocolate-coated peanuts. I sucked off the chocolate and spat out the peanuts. (laughs) You'll remember that story, and you won't remember anything else I told you. There's not a soul in this room, hasn't somebody at some time you felt spat out? And there's not been in this room who's not spat somebody out. You see people, you like them, you think, oh, I like that. Oh, nice chocolate. Let's go and have a look. Let's build a relationship. And suddenly the chocolate goes and you hit the peanut. We have a little phrase in our church, what do you do when you hit the peanut? You learn to like peanuts. <laughs> you press on, you go further. Acceptance is absolutely key. At work, what do you do when you hit the peanut? Do you gossip and complain about people or do you learn to love them and accept them for who they are? Everybody in this room who you think is very nice, when you get to know, this is church life, isn't it? You come to this, oh, I've come to this wonderful church, it's lovely people. Listen, there's nothing different about this church or anybody else's church. It's full of people who are a real old mixture. And after a bit, you discover there's an awful lot of peanut in the room. And, uh, and that's what church is about. It's about learning to accept one another. And then we take that principle, we take it out into the world and we learn to love people and accept people in the world, which no one else is doing. And then we learn the principle of forgiveness, which is the hardest of all. And by the way, just to say about forgiveness, forgiveness is a crisis followed by a process. When you forgive somebody, it is a crisis. I choose to forgive you, but I may not feel very forgiving towards you for a time. It's a process, isn't it? It takes time to work it out. I can say more about that. And then just a couple of other things. The second is about money. We talked about that already today. It affects how we deal with our money. For following Jesus, it will affect what we do with our money. It's a great test of what you do with your money is an indication of how you're following Jesus. And thirdly, it will be to be affect our whole life of integrity as to whether we choose to live honestly and righteously at our place of work and where we uh, spend most of our time. So that's to be a follower of Jesus is is a liberating thing. It affects every part of our lives, uh, and it, but we are equipped for the journey we have what we need we just have to make the choices to decide to follow that way and then we live in an alien world but living a radically different life so the people will see us some people will hate it but the, the scripture says that some people will glorify your father in heaven because of what they see in your life and in my life so that's a great encouragement to do it to be a follower of Jesus it's not just where we go geographically it's about what God does in our hearts To change us so that people look at our lives and they say something is different about you. I don't know what it is, but there is something different about you. I know you're not perfect, but I have smelt something. I've seen something. I feel something in in you that is a bit different from other people. That's being a follower of Jesus. And you're able to say, actually, all it is is this is who I'm choosing to follow. Let's pray together for a moment. covered a lot of ground today it's been a lot of stuff and a lot to hear but I know that along the way God will have spoken to some people about things in their own lives that they really feel God has challenged them about and feeling actually this need to to, to shape up on some of those things certainly it's true for me it's true for all of us and Father I pray the Holy Spirit will continue that process within us of change to become more and more like you and we're not there yet but we don't want to settle down we want to continue the journey we want to finish the The the, the journey of life that we are following you, so that our lives can be a continual testimony to the reality of Jesus. We're aware of our own shortcomings, we're aware of our failures, we're aware of the the inadequacy of our own hearts. But thank you, you have given us everything we need for godliness and right living. And uh, we pray that will be true for all of us. And something will happen in us that will enable us to say, This is not good enough. I must continue to pursue the Jesus life, the holy life. Let that be true for us, Lord. <coughs> Jamie's just going to lead us in, in a piece of music, maybe a song of worship. And as we um, pursue that in our hearts, as we draw uh, towards the latter part of this meeting, we don't want to finish this day without having some opportunity. For some of you who responded this morning in your own personal way were probably saying, actually, as alongside that, I'd love someone to pray with me. I'd love someone to minister to me. And God has spoken to me today in such a way that i just love someone to, say, I want to say to someone, this is what it's about. Will you just pray for me? So we want to give opportunity for that tonight. There's no pressure on you, no, no, no great... Uh, hysterics to say you must come and respond to prayer, but the offer is there for prayer, that you could just receive some ministry to conclude this day. See, I want to to bring it as it were, to some sort of conclusion today, what God has been doing in my life.